Good morning, good morning, good morning. As we finish up taking our tithes and offerings, um, we're launching a brand new series this morning. Uh, it is called This Is Living, and it's timed uh, particularly for this time of year. Uh, there's two times of the year people are very receptive to figuring out their life. Like, you, you go through a season, you're like, I, I, don't, I don't really know what's going on right now. And then you're kind of like, okay, we're going to get our stuff together. We're going to have a list, a to-do list. I'm going to buy a brand new calendar. You know, Kevin will look at eight different apps that are supposed to organize his life and download all of them and forget them in like a week, right? But we all do this about two times a year. We do it in January, New Year's, and we do it when the kids go back to school. Because you realize, I can't, I can't, I can't even, right? Like when the, when the kids and the things and the letters and the stuff and the, ah, and it all gets a little bit much and we've got to figure it all out. And so uh, this time of year is specifically geared as everybody comes, starts coming back from vacations. How am I going to organize stuff? What's going on? And so we want to take a look at what is really living, and is what we're doing living? Uh, could you call what this existence that I have life? Is this all that God has for me? Is this all that I'm called to? Because if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we just go, this can't be what was designed. This can't be all there really is. This can't be what it could be. And we, we, we ask that question all the time. Isn't there more? And I think you and I, we, we fell into this trap over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in our lives, right? When we were in high school, all we wanted was to graduate. Remember that? Because then life would be easy and we get to do what, I, what we want, right? I've been thinking a lot about this, like, like, oh man, high school. That was, I just remember wanting to graduate so bad. I actually, uh, when I was a freshman, Indiana passed um, a law, I think there's one here too, but this, these new tests that you had to pass as like a sophomore. And if you pass them as a sophomore, they're like, oh, good, you can, you can graduate. But if you failed, you could take it again as a junior, as a senior, because they, they wanted to up their, uh, their, their graduation rates. The problem with that is if you pass it as a sophomore, and I'm going to ruin all the high schoolers in here right now, you pass it as a sophomore, you don't need to be in high school anymore. They already said you know everything that you need to to get out. Me being the cynical pain in the rear teenager was like, Dad? He's like, oh, he figured it out. <laughs> My dad's answer to me going, why should I go to high school was, because you like sports. <laughs> like, because he was like, and I was, I, was, I was glad he didn't lie to me. Like, well, you really need your education. Dad, I'm already taking college classes in high school. He's like, so there was two things at school that kept me in. It was girls and sports. And that's my high school career. Because <laughs> the, the learning aspect wasn't really the, anywhere on there. Um, but at high school, I tell all you, that's not even in my notes. But all, all the high school stuff was because all you do is yearn to get out, right? But you miss the opportunity that high school is. You will never have discretionary income like you do in high school ever again. The most proportionate amount of discretionary income that I spent on myself, how many movies I rented, how many movies I went to, how many stupid paintball guns I bought, how all the, these things that were just for me, just mine, all that, the toys, that was all in high school. I got, my discretionary income is like for, 
Bowen to get braces, you know, and like that's what discretion. Oh, let's let's go to the dentist today. Yay, that's a, that's a treat. And you know, that's that's what discretionary income happens. And so, at high school, we long for something more, and we miss the opportunities that we have right then. And we do that in college too, right? Oh, I just oh these papers and all this. Stuff. Those are the most fun four years of your entire life. And we're like, oh, I can't wait to get out. Pump the brakes. Pull the emergency. The, stop. Enjoy where you're at. We graduate college. We get a job. We're like, ah, I got a job. I hate this job. I want a different job. Like, that's going to fix it. Or, oh, I want to get married. I don't even like this person, but I guess I'll marry him because that's what I'm supposed to do because I'm 24. Right? 25, 80, whatever. But we, we, we have to get married because that'll make me happy. All my relational problems will go away because I got married. I think it's funny that people were like, <laughs> danger, Mr. Robinson. Um, we go back, we get, our, we get our, our next job. We change jobs. We think that'll make us happy. And then we start longing. We're only 30, but we start longing for retirement. Right? That will make me happy when I retire. And then we get in retirement and we're like, <laughs> I'm going to go bag groceries at Jewel because I'm bored out of my stinking mind and that will make me happy. And we just repeat this cycle over and over and over and over again. And that's not life. That's not what Jesus has in mind for us. Jesus, for someone who is outside of time and has no, like he has this vision of every day could be lived totally different if we just got rid of the constraints of time. Like there's no, I'm going to arrive. It's I'm going to be here and I'm going to be now every day. What does that look like with our children as parents? I've been struggling with this. Like, oh, I can't wait until my kids are this age to do this. I have an infant, right? Six months. All she can do is like, uh, and then cry. You know, that's what she does. That's her repertoire of things to do. And I, it's hard for me because I want to be like, when are we going to get to play? Here's a ball. Bonk. You know, and bounce off her forehead. That doesn't work yet. I can long for the time in the future and miss what's happening right now. I can long for my, my seven-year-olds to be you know, older so we can do different things together, but then miss the beauty of what it is to have seven-year-olds. There's a picture uh, I got this week. Um, Facebook has this wonderful way of reminding you that you're getting old and life is going really, really fast. And there was a picture uh, of my oldest daughter. Uh, my oldest daughter, that's weird to say because she's seven. Uh, yeah, she's ancient. Uh, she's going to college next week, basically. Uh, so, um, but she's on a porch swing, and she's just the curls and the blonde hair and the smile and the goofy grin and all that stuff is just in full. Oh, my goodness. It just That felt like yesterday. But I spent so much time, even at that age, going, oh, I wish she could, you know, go to the bathroom by herself. I wish these things. And that time's gone. It's never come back. But Jesus calls us to a life that says, how do I enjoy now? How do I enjoy this moment? How do I enjoy where we're at right now? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we spend so much time longing for the future that we miss the present. And Jesus has this amazing way in his whole, and what I want to talk about today, his purpose is to say, no, 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 no. I got different for you. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, we waste so much time with worry, with shame, with regret. We, it's the biggest lie that Satan says to us, and it takes away our joy, and it takes away our present. 
and it steals from us. In John 10, 10, when Jesus says the thief comes to steal, to steal, kill, and destroy, he does that by bringing worry and shame and regret and heaping it on our lives. But Jesus in John 10, 10 says, I come to give you life and give it to you abundantly or more full, as the Greek says. What he's saying is, I give you life. You have the ability to savor, to step into, to experience every moment that is given to you. And so as we explore this idea of this is living, we want to really step into that. And why that's unique is I think this series is is really, really, and there's a reason we planned it right now with the block party, because it is strategically planned to be easy to invite your friends to. Easy to invite your family members, because I'm pretty sure you don't have to think very hard to find someone who's stricken with anxiety, with worry, with doubt, with, uh, with grief, with, with these ideas that just suck the joy out of them, right? I'm sure one or two faces have popped into your brains just thinking in the last five seconds, because you may be that person going, this is the series I really actually need to step into. And so that's where we're going. That's what we're going to be about. See, if we can master this truth, of who Jesus is and what he's teaching us in this, this kind of moment life and what it means to have life abundantly, we will be shining beacons of hope and love to everyone around us. This week, I had something shameful come out on me on the internet. Extremely shameful. And uh, for some reason, Tina Anderson was the first one to find it. And she found out about it before I even did, and all of a sudden blew up on the internet, and I was very uh, ashamed of it, and, uh, you know, thought I was going to have to call the elders and tell them about it. Um, It was this picture, this picture of me on the internet, popped up. (laughs) Uh, So there's a lot of sequences in that, uh, in that picture. Um, but that's me, the top, and no one needs a laser pointer today. And no, you don't need to zoom in on it, Kevin. Uh, he was going, he's going to the computer to zoom in. Uh, I think, no, it's okay. This picture represents a lot of shame. Not because I was in pizzazz. Go, Grease, Lightning, go. I could nail that show, the show choir tunes. I got it. Not because of the way I was dressed. I'll own it. It was horrible. It was okay. But what some of the people in that picture represent to me. The first girl I kissed is in that picture. The first girl I told I loved is in that picture. The first person I ever knew hated my gut. And they're not the same girl, by the way. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) That's funny right there. I don't care who you are. Um, The first person I knew hated my guts is in that picture. Like, hated me. And I had no idea why, but just hated me. One of my, my absolute best friends is in that picture that we never talk about anymore. We never talk to each other anymore. Weren't you, I wasn't like, didn't even know kids were born. Like, don't even. But we were inseparable in high school is in that picture. Those stories, and there's story after story that I could, I could keep on going on about what goes on in that a picture. It took me a day to get over this picture, being on the internet. It really did. It rocked me. I was like, oh. And it wasn't because of the stupid sequences. It wasn't because, like, if you want to be in show choir, be in show choir. Look at the ratio to guy to girl in there. It is a target-rich environment, okay? So, hey, you know, that's your thing. Go ahead for it. Um, 
Life advice right there. Um, so it's not like I, I don't care if I was in show choir and if you think less of me, okay. But it was more the shame of who I was in that picture and the mistakes that I made and the stupid things I did and the people I hurt in that picture. That was shameful to me. And I started reliving guilt from 20 years ago. I started reliving conversations from 20 years ago. People I hurt 20 years ago. People that hurt me 20 years ago. And as I was processing it, as I was working through that, I was like, why would I get upset? Why would I hurt? Why would I even let this hold on to me on people I don't even talk to? Like, no one cares. And more importantly, Jesus has taken that guy that's in that picture and dramatically changed him to a whole different guy. He's still goofy and can get, get, get down to Greece every once in a while, but he is still, like, he's a totally different guy. My temperament is totally different. The way in which I view the world is totally different. The way in which I treat people is totally different. That guy is dead and gone and does not exist anymore. He is a new creation in Christ and has been made new. I don't have to worry about the stupid stuff that that represents anymore. But if we're honest with ourselves, we let junk, maybe flashy things from 20 years ago, derail us, hold us captive. Make us slaves to worry, to doubt, to fear, and to shame. And if you've been captivated by that, Jesus sets you free from that. That's his deal. That's what he does. And by us, many of us, we're all, we've been Christians for a long time, and we still keep on going back into that shame. We keep, still keep on going back into that guilt. What we're doing in that is we're looking at John 10, 10 and saying, well, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and I'm going to go with him instead of going with the one who promises me life and life more abundant. And so if we keep on falling back into that shame and going back into that regret and going back into that worry, we're choosing Satan over Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't want that to be my life story. How does this work? How can I say that Jesus gives us life and more abundant? Because, you know, Jerry, a lot of times we hear about being a Jesus follower, and all, all I hear about is all the stuff I can't do. I don't hear about what, what that means for me. I just think of it's a list of, of rules of don't do this and this and this and this. That's not what Jesus is about at all. He's about an abundant life, a full life, a life greater and more, deeper than you ever could imagine. See, real life is without shame. Real life is without guilt. Real life is without regret. This is living is about what has been done for you, not what you have done or have had done to you. Well, there's a lot of words there. But this is the this is main thought for the next couple of weeks. This is living is about what has been done for you. Not what you have had done, what you have done or have had done to you. Because so often our sense of shame, our sense of guilt, our sense of fear, or worry revolves around the stuff that we've done or has been done to us. And that's not the life Jesus is calling us to. And that's good news. Some of you, I've said, you're choosing Satan over Jesus, and you felt guilty about choosing Satan over, over Jesus. You've already, fall, you've already fallen into a different trap of feeling guilt, right? 
That's, that's, that's not it. We just get to accept that God has made us a new creation, and we get to live in that. We get to step into that. There is joy to be found in that. There's life to be found in that. There's excitement to be found in that. Imagine if you could go back to when you're seven years old, and the biggest worry you have is like, which matchbox car are you going to play with today? Is it the red one or the blue one? Because, you know, the red one's a little faster on the ramp than the blue one, but the blue one looks cooler. It's got glitter on it, right? The, the excitement of that. When Jesus says it's a childlike faith, it's, a, it's an innocent type of faith. It's an innocent kind of looking at life where, you know what? I'm going to live in this moment, in this time, right here and right now, instead of all this worry, all this shame, all this guilt piling on me. I'm going to choose to say, nope, Jesus has handled that. I don't have to be that person. Because when, when Jesus enters our life and we give our lives to Christ, it's not like worry goes away. It's not like all of a sudden you don't have bills to pay or magically there's money in your bank account or things are going on. Those things still happen. But it's, you get the choice now of saying, God, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to place this in your hands and I'm going to step away. Because you got. if I really believe you're God, you're big enough to take that. If I really believe you're God, creator of the universe, savior of my soul, you can handle my issue. And those are the questions I have to have every day. That's the wrestling I have. Is God really God today, or am I going to be a man and I'm going to hold this to myself? This is dumb. Because there's so many things that pile on my shoulders. I sold a house this week. Thank you, Jesus. I sold a house this week, and I could feel the weight just kind of off my shoulders. There's some of those things in your life today, in this moment, that you've been holding on your shoulders that you don't need to be holding onto your shoulders. You think it's stuff that you've got to be holding on to. It's stuff from your past, past wounds, past things, past wounds that you've, you've done to other people that you've been holding on to, and it's crushing you. And Jesus is like, if, if you want, I got, I got, you want, I, t- I take. But if you take it, Jesus, then I can't have it anymore. Because Jesus likes to take these things that are weighing us down and go, bye. And we're like, but I like that worry. It was my favorite. Good old number three. Scripture for today is Genesis chapter, the very last verse of Genesis chapter two, uh, and a lot of three. Okay, so if you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter three, this is... The fall of man. It is where uh, the whole idea of sin comes from. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It is a history, and the first, particularly the verse seven uh, chapters are a history of um, how the world happened. All these different things. It's um, beautiful read. Genesis is, and a lot of people think the first seven chapters are written as a poem, and I just love that. I view the Bible as a love letter. Um, as a love book to God's people, and to think, and a lot of people think Revelation was written as a, as a poem as well. So think about it, or the first seven chapters of, of uh, Revelation as a poem. So think about it this way. It, the love letter to us is written, started with a poem, and ended with a poem. The, the, the language of love, right? If, if uh, Shakespeare could do it, that's how he would, he would do it. I think that's just, that's just beautiful. Anyway, we're in chapter three. <clears throat> Verse 25 of of chapter 2, sorry. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's very important. 
Adam and his wife, this is the very beginning of, of creation, Adam and his wife, there's no other people around, and they are naked. And they felt no shame. You might want to underline that. They felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That sounds awesome, right? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It's the introduction of shame. The first thing that happens when people are able to judge what is good and what is bad and what is right and what is wrong is shame comes into play. This is as old as time itself that we feel shame. Then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? Underline, uh, where is it? Where'd it go? Oh, there, next, next verse. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Underline afraid and underlined naked. Immediately after he feels shame, man feels fear and worry. Fear and worry. Immediately. This is, you know, this is not a timeline of long, 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 long time. This is all of a sudden, you've never felt the emotion of shame before. Like, think about what that would be. You've never felt that emotion of what shame is like. And all of a sudden, it just comes crashing in on you. We were afraid because I was naked. And then one of the most, the saddest verses in the whole Bible. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Who told you? Because he knows there is no reason that you would feel shame. I created this perfect place. You don't need to wear clothes. It's a temperate 78 degrees. It's gorgeous. Like, there's no one else around. There's no peeping toms. It's just you and your wife. It's okay. There's no reason you should have shame. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And here's, here's this just popped in my head. There was no outside force telling them they were wrong. There was no outside person saying, oh, you better put some clothes on. Oop, you need to tie that fig tree leaf a little bit tighter. It was all from himself. It was all internal. No one was judging them. No one was placing that on them. It was all themselves. 
Might have to use that in a message a little later. <clears throat> the man said, that woman you put here, with, uh, put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Immediately there's guilt, there's shame, there's worry, there's fear, and then there's guilt. And I love the, I want to blame somebody else. She did it. The snake did it. (laughs) God has punishments for all three. But the pain is who told you you were naked? You don't have to have shame. I designed you in the Garden of Eden. My perfect plan for you in humanity was you you were never going to have to fear death. You had all the time in the world. You never had to fear shame. You never had to fear blame. You never had to fear guilt. You you didn't know what sin was. You didn't care what sin was. You had no clue. You never had to worry about it. Who told you you were naked? The rest of the Bible is the story of God restoring people to pre-fall. Because his perfect plan for all of us and what Jesus does is he restores us to pre-fall. If you look at what an abundant life should be like, the thief, the serpent comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and you may have it to the full. Right? What God is saying is, what Jesus is saying in that is saying, the serpent came, the thief came, so that you have worry and shame and regret and all these other things. I came. So you can have life the way I intended in the Garden of Eden. So when the language in the New Testament all the time is called, called um, God, Jesus makes us a new creation. We sing songs about new creation in it. We talk about it all the time. It becomes very rote. But this idea of new creation, and this hit me uh, in prepping for this message today. When Jesus says, you've been created a new creation, or Paul writes it, you've been created a new creation in Christ Jesus. What he is saying is, now you have gone back. Who you are spiritually is before the fall. And if you're before the fall, you don't have to worry about shame and guilt and if you're naked or not. Now, I do advise wearing clothes, but you don't have to to deal with those things, right? That's who you are. You don't have to be stuck in worry anymore because you're a new creation. You don't have to be stuck in shame anymore because the past is gone and you are created new. This is, wow. So many of us miss this part. We add Jesus because we're like, Jesus, I just need you to forgive me of this sin and this sin and this sin because I really want to go to heaven and I, and I don't want to go to hell. So can we, uh, can we just take care of that part? And, and, and Jesus is like, yeah, we can do that. But I got so much more for you. I can make you a new creation. Someone who's not, not whittled with shame and guilt and worry and regret. I don't, you don't want to be that person anymore. You get to be new. You want to come over here? This is new. This is awesome. No, I'm good. I just didn't want to go to hell. And that, that's where we find ourselves, right? Like, no, no, I, I like my, my, pet, my pet problems. They're kind of me. That's how I identify myself. And, and this is why Paul, in the New Testament, one of the writers of, of the books of the, of the Bible, he's always going back to, no, 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 no. You got to be a new creation, You don't have to be that person anymore. You don't have to abide by the old set of social norms that you used to know. You are a new person. And Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount and all these other things that he writes, these beautiful, 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 beautiful passages, 
He's talking about what it looks like to really live out being a new creation, being found in him, what his original intent of you was. To be without worry, without shame, without regret. What Jesus is saying is, I have life for you. I have life to the fullest. When we let Jesus remove our worry and our regret and our shame, it transforms how we live. When we let Jesus remove this worry, this regret and shame, it transforms how we live. We are no longer bound by the the things that maybe have motivated us. Some of the the most... um, you find out what makes a person tick like is it is it ambition is it they want to strive to be the best you know, the greatest runner of all time uh retired last night usain bolt uh, uh ran his last i think well he's got one more uh, relay race but he ran his race like when he retires what drove him was it to be a cocky pain in the rear because that's what it kind of looked like but um what drove him was it was it accolades was he just wanted to run what what drove him what drives you? What drives me? I, I don't know. But so often it's to get over past wounds is what drives us. What gets over shame, what drives us. To work so hard so I never have to worry about money again because I always worried about it at this time. Like there's a whole generation of people, right? The greatest generation. My, my grandparents like that lived through the Depression. Every decision is made. Well, if that's taken away from me tomorrow, how am I going to organize my day today so I'm okay? Because of past wounds. Now, it's okay to be a planner. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But every decision being made, how many beans you buy at Sam's Club is made because of of past wounds. And you and I, we make decisions on this because of worry, because of regret. Maybe we don't let ourselves actually love people anymore because of the regret and the shame that that we have because of past relationships. We don't let ourselves get close anymore. Because it's easier just to put up a wall and keep people away than to invite them in. When Jesus comes in and we say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, what we, what we get to ask is, will you take away my sins? Yes. But will you make me a new creation? Will you set me before? And so when I run up against a topic of shame and regret, and worry, I can just give it to you, and, and you'll really take that? That's the deal. That's what this is all about. This is what following Christ is all about. And that's why it's, when I look at our lives, I look at my own life, I go, am I really living it out? Because God's called us to something more. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but he has come to give us life and to give it full. We're going to experience this further for the next couple of weeks. Um, like I said, it's strategically placed around the block party because I want, I know your friends and your family need to hear this idea of they don't have to live with worry and regret and shame anymore. Maybe you need to hear that as well. This is living is about what has been done for you, not what you have done or have had done to you. If you find yourself in a place where you know you need to step into this new creation kind of life, You need to step into what God has for you. I want you to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it out loud if you want. You can pray it just in your heart uh, where you're at. You can pray it however you'd like to pray it. Just just follow along uh, emotionally and in your brain uh, with me. 
Let's pray. Jesus, will you give, give me freedom? Jesus, will you forgive me of all this stuff? All this past, all this, these things that keep on popping up in my head. Oh, will you forgive me? Will you take it? Will you remove it? Because God, it's drowning me. It's haunting me. And no matter how hard I work, no matter how hard I run, I can't escape it. And Jesus, right now, I want to give you all of my life. I want to give you my past. I want to give you my present. I want to give you my future. Amen.